0: Welcome to another episode of The Lydia Project. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Tori Walker, and in today's episode, I head over to Becky Kahn's house for a coffee. Becky is a gifted, energetic, passionate woman who walks the fine line of being involved in lots of worthwhile endeavors, with being just a bit too busy. It's a line I and many other women I know often walk to. But Becky has the added complication of a chronic health issue in the mix. In today's episode, we chat about how she manages that issue and we also talk a bit about the church that she and her husband Joe are involved in in Brisbane and the unique insight that she has into modern families. I hope you enjoy listening into our conversation. So, Becky, you are someone who leads a very full life. Tell
1: me, do you ever get too busy? I'm in one of those patches at the moment, actually, <laughs> where everything you need to do starts to interrupt what you want to do mm. and also your daily commitments or the things that you have to do um that are the highest priorities hmm. particularly as a mum um and a wife so where all the other things start to interrupt those things i think is where i start to feel a pinch and realize something's got to change yeah um uh, for me for me that's highly related to health so my health is just it fluctuates a lot so sometimes i'm totally capable of doing everything i've set out to do that week and other weeks i need at least two crash days and everything goes in the back burner And then there's the frustration and guilt with not getting things done and then thinking, how did I get myself involved in this much stuff? It does seem to keep happening. And I know that for me there's a fine balance between um, feeling like I don't have enough on and not getting stuff, you know, yeah, just not feeling like I'm contributing. Um, When I am sort of have been sick and taking time for myself, um, as I start to come, come out of that, I realize no, I'm ready to do stuff now and get things done. I feel really motivated to do things. But then as soon as my health starts, starts crashing, then I am looking for the way out. So, okay. yeah, I think I've got, come to feel like it's probably a bit of a permanent state of life uh, because my illness is chronic. Mm. Um, I have ulcerative colitis, so yeah, so it, it won't go away. And I think it's something I'm just going to have to manage, um, and I'm learning to put crash days into the week. So okay. that's kind of the plan then is on those days, if I'm feeling like it's a good week, I'll call someone and catch up or I'll, you know, yeah. catch up on some shopping errands or, yeah. um, you know, catch up on paperwork or do something. But uh, otherwise it's um, get the kids to school and I'll just do as minimal as possible. Yeah. Um, so rest, sleep, um, yeah, go, go to the cafe and just have coffee and sit for a long time. And what do you find that is? nourishes you well um yeah sometimes mm. yeah or do you just feel so um yuck that yeah i'm i'm learning it's probably more to do with my health so mm. yeah sometimes it takes a few days before i feel any better there's no real answer but I, it's definitely a balance and i'm just learning to i think watch my kids and and joe as much as possible just cuz if they start to get stressed then i usually know that that's when i'm Hmm. pushing too far too fast um, on too much of a schedule yeah and so just trying to balance really
0: tell me a bit about your illness if you can when did yeah. you like is it something you've had from birth that only
1: no I was, I was diagnosed when I was I think about 24 I had a lot of bouts in hospital and um, I got sick twice while I was pregnant which was a worry, mm-hmm. um, but the pregnancies were fine. Um, and then I ended up not getting better, however, after my last daughter was born. So I had a, uh, my large intestine removed surgically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spent about a year having um, various abdominal infections and other surgeries. So there was probably, I think I had four surgeries that in about a 12-month period of time. Um, yeah, with a, I don't know how old they were, four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a newborn, uh, in tow. So I took my newborn back with me to hospital to have the surgery and, uh, yeah. So that was a really crazy, crazy period of time. And so I think I, uh, you know, at the time had lots and lots of questions about God and, um, why am I here and why would God give me abilities to do things and then let me be sick. <laughs> um, yep. and just seeing the toll it was taking on my family and, um, the, you know, feeling at that time, my main goal, my main role, was to be a mum to these three tiny kids that needed me, and yet I had to keep ferrying them off to grandparents' houses yeah. to um, be looked after. Um, yeah, that was that was tricky, yeah. and and really sort of asked, um, I questioned a lot of um, who, yeah, who I was and what I was up to. Is God good? Was probably one of the big questions that came out of that at that time. Was you know, I'd always accepted that from when I was tiny, that God was good and I want to be on God's team. And mm. I think all of a sudden I wasn't sure of that anymore. Mm. It was um, quite a, a bit of a crisis. Um, after, and it wasn't at the beginning. It was probably after my fourth surgery. I nearly had to go back again for more surgery. Um, and I think at that point I was like, okay, God, I've held up my end of the bargain here. <laughs> I've tried to be faithful and patient and, you know, grin and bear it and just push through Um And yet I still was facing more medical complications and um, they were more personal by then. My gynae system had gotten involved, so Mm -hmm. it just felt more personal. Um, And, yeah, but I guess at that time, through being pretty honest about those feelings, uh, I, you know, really got to that point of asking, well, where else am I going to turn? You know, Mm -hmm. where else am I going to find... I guess, truth and, and a meaning for anything and um, a way through. Yeah, so that was back then. I think that was about eight, seven years ago now. Mm. Or Yeah, probably six years by the time all my surgery's finished and <laughs> all those other things. And so I've, hence, I've had other complications since yeah. um, with infections and things. So, uh, yeah, now I'm on some just still experimenting with different medications which have which also affect how i'm feeling so yeah Mm. i'll go okay on one and then it won't work anymore and so then i'll have to change but there's always a a period of time where you know yeah your body copes or doesn't Mm. cope and work that out yeah the usual circus of tests and doctor's appointments and Mm. paying the bills yeah (laughs) that's right so
0: at the time was it hard to be honest with people about the struggles you were having, especially in terms of God's goodness. Like now you can say I struggled Mm. back then, but I realised that God was the only one I could turn Mm. to. Like at the time, was it difficult? Mm. In a way, you were a bit of a a public Christian. Yes, that's right. Because of all the things (laughs) that you were
1: involved in. I, yeah, it it was funny because I think the first part of it was being honest with myself. Mm. Um even admitting that I was feeling like that. And it took me a while to realise that. So um, I kind of got to a stage where I suddenly realised I couldn't pray anymore. Like when when you're in a really acute stage of, uh, you know, you've had a bombshell of bad news and you you start, you pray, you turn to God and you ask him for help because you know he's the only one big enough to kind of do anything about it, you know, really. I mean, of course, I was seeing doctors and things as well, but I knew – The bottom line was that God was the only one that could really heal me Mm. um, through the grace of those medical staff as well. Mm. But uh, when it started going haywire and and that wasn't sort of working, um, I noticed that my my ability to pray and ask God about things just started to vaporise. It was like I I didn't even in my heart have, have that ability to to turn to him in those times it was really strange um it wasn't like an active rebellion where I said oh I hate you God you, you didn't heal me <laughs> so get lost <laughs> um it was more of yeah I just it was like a numbness I guess spiritually where I was yeah brought to this kind of crisis point and it was a long time after the main crisis had passed which was interesting too because um, it, it sort of blindsided me I was quite surprised um I would have assumed it was when you know, I had to go for the major surgery or when, you know, I had another big abscess um, or another big abscess Mm. and I lost my ovary and, you know, like, you know, all this kind of stuff was happening. But it wasn't really then, it was later. Um, I just remember the words the doctor said to me was, I think we'll just do a pelvic clearance (laughs) and that will be the outcome of this next problem. Um, And they put a stent in for me and I had just a three-month time frame. To, for that stent to work. Yeah, I, just, I couldn't even pray. It was mm. like I just felt numb. And, and I was—I pre- actually was honest with myself and I realised I think I was just angry with God. Mm. Um, and, and even more than that, really doubting that he was really who he said he was. Mm. Um, I talked br- briefly with Joe, and my husband about it. And we also got some elders to come and pray with me about that from the church. So, And I said that to them. I, I was quite honest by that stage. It's funny because it wasn't a faith crisis in the sense that it went on and on and on for months and months. I think once I realised that's really what I was feeling, I was able to just get to that point of going, "I have to make a choice here," and it happened quite quickly where I just realised I'm either going to throw myself entirely upon God and His ability to be who He says He is and to receive Him by faith at His word, um, or I'm going to have to find something else, <laughs> you know, because I need help right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I'm at bottom. I'm at the bottom here. Um, and I'd already put so much, I'd already relied so much on the people around me and they were absolutely amazing, but I knew they couldn't fix me yeah. um, and I knew that I needed more, something a bit spiritual, something bigger than myself to um, pull me out of this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did. I When the elders came around to pray for me before another procedure, I um, I did say that. I said, look, I've even just, I feel like Job um, as well, you know, just that questioning like why, but also is God really who he says he says he was is Mm. um yeah and so they prayed for me and i think through that time it interestingly you know god answered that he did answer that prayer and i didn't go back for more surgery at that point but i think for me that was almost the the secondary news of that event for me it was more Mm. about realizing through that time that god actually is who he says he is and that was the bigger thing that i the bigger crisis so
0: was there an element of um having to reprocess and and sort of understand what it meant for God to be your father who had your best interests at heart. It, mm. Was that part of it, like learning to trust that he yeah. knew what was best for you even if it 100% didn't feel like
1: it? Absolutely, yeah. 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 I, I, I had to get to this point where I realised that God's best for me was not what I thought God's best for me was. Mm. So I thought God's best for me was to grin and bear these horrible nasty surgeries um come out the other end okay i wanted to have a fourth baby yeah. and i wanted to um yeah just go on and be useful for him you know that was my plan and this would be just a nice life experience that i'd reflect back on A <laughs> <And, laughs> good talk and, illustration yes, that's right good talk illustration that's right mm. just the kind of thing that would be uh, part of for formative, formative years for me mm. um But when that kept crashing, when Mm. it kept crashing, and I had absolutely no guarantee that I was going to come out of this Mm. in any fit state to do anything, Mm. I had to let it go. And I had to realise that his plan for me was actually way better and bigger and different to what I assumed it would be. Um, And, of course, that's a laying down of pride and it's a laying down of your dreams Mm. to some extent. Mm. And yet the way that God um, walked me through that, it was more of, it wasn't a laying down of my identity. It's funny how he, because he made us and shaped us and knows exactly who we are, laying down our dreams and hopes and thoughts is not necessarily the same as giving up who we are, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So he, I guess he helped grow me as a person um, in who I really was and showed me more about who I really was through that time as a loving father does, but it looked very different to what I thought it would be. I have had to walk through that and that's an ongoing continuing process because Mm -hmm. I guess medically I still don't know the outcome of what I'll I'll actually be capable of. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had a few months this year where I've really been doing next to nothing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just trying to do the minimal, you know, minimal things and I've had other weeks where I've got amazing things done. So, Mm -hmm. and I know that that's going to be an ongoing question. I'm still medically a little bit Unstable, so I may end up with an ileostomy bag. I may end up with um, more surgery. I may end up with all kinds of other complications um, because I've got so much, yeah, just random infections and scar tissue that you know aren't the best thing to carry around when you're <laughs> um, in your thirties. There's still obviously things that you know are very deep to my heart that that I haven't gotten back, you know, and I won't, and I don't think I will get back. Uh, but but I need to leave that with him and and trust that he knows what the better uh, what the better thing is for me um, because he knows me better than I know myself um, and I've worked that through this time.
0: Sometimes the grief
1: is ongoing when
0: major events happen because your expectation is that you know every five years you'll be here, but every five years or one year or whatever, you're <laughs> you're right. still not there, are you? No, you know, that's you're right. still not where you dreamed you would be. Yes
1: and I think too something I've learned through a lot of this is is that that grief is part of the human condition mm. um that you know we are very much raised I mean I'm technically early gen y <laughs> and you know we are raised with that sense of go out and achieve whatever you want to achieve and, and you're worth it, and you,
0: um, it and you can have it all you have it
1: all that's right <laughs> and actually i frequently tell my children that life is not fair Mm. and you you yes you work hard and yes you have some goals and yes you try and work towards things and you practice to try and improve at things and you you do work hard you you use the gifts and capabilities you've been given and you Mm. be diligent with those but um griefs are gifts as well in the sense that they also shape your life and they Mm. shape who who you're going to be and Mm. um it's not necessarily about having all the things you thought you wanted Mm. it's um it's also being able to to deal with what you've been given, you know, mm. and to to use them for whatever pearl of glory or shame or you know mm. whatever it is that um, that they're there for. That, that, mm. But they're all um, helpful mm. um, eventually, although often at the time you can't can't see it.
0: You mentioned that sort of lying there being sick mm. for a year, and I'm sure it happens even now. Mm. It cuts you that you can't do things, and mm. it, um, it it made you sort of. Reevaluate your identity do you think as early gen y christian women not that i'm gen y gen x <laughs> but there is that pull even um in good things
1: that we're involved in to sort of mm. see our identity in them yes absolutely um, um and i've definitely faced some of that although god taught me a lot about that early on when i came to our um church in the north side of brisbane uh I was very sick and heavily pregnant with our third daughter. Mm. And um, I think I was going to the toilet about 15 to 20 times a day and I was in agony and I was swelling up with all the drugs they'd given, the steroids they'd given me. Um, and and I, had I had two toddlers. toddlers? I had two toddlers. I could hardly sit up <laughs> because mm. of the, uh, the pressure. Mm. Um, I, went back, I went to hospital the day after we moved into the house. We made the move to that church. I had to go back to hospital. I still had my arm bent on at our commissioning service. <laughs> and then they took they took the website photo <laughs> that day <laughs> and I was swollen with all these steroids. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I sat on the website for about three years. It was horrible. Well that's um, hub like, yeah. it. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but the first time I met a number of people at the church was when they came to my door to deliver meals to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and you know the thought did cross my mind. I should be the one bringing meals to other people because I'm the pastor's wife, and yeah. this is like our first week on the job. Yeah. <laughs> but the, that church taught me a whole lot about uh, the family of Christ, and that we are all exactly the same. That we are all just you know <laughs> saints trapped in a very temporal body that has all kinds of issues, and um, that we are we're just here to serve each other and mm-hmm. to. Um, you know, by this, uh, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And that I was, in that time, in that place, I was the recipient of that love. Mm. Um, and I just had to ask God that I had the opportunity to love people back mm. one day. You know that, that that time would come again where I'd have the opportunity to, mm. um, yeah, show show love towards other people. Mm. Um, mm. And they didn't put expectations on me to be even be at church or to be there for a long time or. Um, to be running running ministries or, mm. you know, turning up to things when they just gave me space, A space with love. You know, they mm. they get to know me, but um, in the capacity I was able to, which was really lovely. And had your minister's wife, she was sick too? She was, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when I got there, the um, senior minister's wife, uh, was sick with terminal cancer mm. um, and so I know that the church had learned how to serve as well through mm. that um, because she was very dearly loved and mm. mm. Um, but yeah the, the church had already gone through that, and it would have been easy for them to sort of be a bit sick of it all mm. <laughs> and sort of go oh well but know. wasn't it lovely that they showed you that love without even knowing you yes that's right yeah yeah, you've meant done nothing. Life. It does yeah, mean exactly. a lot, doesn't it? They just That's love right. you because and they didn't know Joe either, yeah. but they, you know, he was brand new. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so where did you grow yeah. up? I grew up in, I spent two years in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. So my parents were up there. Dad was working with the Australian government. Mm-hmm. And then as that sort of independence happened and it got a little bit violent up there, they moved down here in the early 80s. Yep. And we lived at Kaper- uh, Fernie Grove. Mm-hmm. And then when I was nine, moved to the Redlands. So yeah. I lived in Wellington Point for most of my formative years, really, yeah. through, right through my teenage years. And then um, I met Joe at school, and we went to youth group over that way. And then when he went to ministry, to the yeah, we sort of have moved around mm. since then. So we've mm. lived in most of the corners of Brisbane: mm. south side, north side, west, inner west now.
0: Well, yeah, see, it's the inner, isn't it, that it is, defies yes. that mm, um, particular. atheist, kind of mm. secular, mm. like it's the, all the other areas you mentioned are very much Queensland, aren't they? They're very yes, much, right. yeah. very typical. Our,
1: our last school, we had um, kind of a Christian family that I knew and got along yep. with, beautifully with. In every one, it's a kids' class. One or two, at least, you know. Mm. So yes, there was. It's very, very different here. It's a little bit isolated. Um, mm. The kids feel the difference too. Mm. Um, your sort of your whole approach to the world is just from a different angle. Mm.
0: But do you mm. and Joe feel very kind of um, strongly that this is a great place for you guys to be at the moment?
1: Um, we feel called to be here. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I guess I'm struggling with the personal cost of that Mm. Uh, so the children are in school with nobody else that Mm. they can really identify with Mm. and because the church isn't very big um they don't have thousands of friends Mm. that are christian at church um and their cousins that are their age live overseas Mm. uh, doing full-time mission work um and so they i'm i'm feeling the the fallout for them Mm. um yeah so i think i think it's it's a place that Christians really need to live, mm. but unfortunately, because it's so wonderful to have a lounge room big enough to host Bible study and a car, a street to put cars on, um, and a yard to play in, and you know, and raise a family, and then people do move out to suburbs that have bigger blocks and bigger houses. Um, but to get that kind of thing in here, you just have to have a whole lot more money uh so yeah we're kind of in the process of <laughs> looking to see if there's anyone wants to invest <laughs> um but it's it is a beautiful part of the world to live in and people actually have no idea about who jesus is um at christmas i have um some friends come up to me and say oh you're the pastor's wife i think i might have to get you to come and teach my kids because i was well, I was telling them about Christmas, but I couldn't remember, like, G- Joseph, Mary, what's all that about? Like, I couldn't remember the story, so I thought I needed someone to tell them what what that traditional story is about. Um, and it's, you know, it's that kind of story that gets repeated is that people actually have no idea mm. um, about any aspect of the gospel, mm. um, which is it's a huge mission field. Mm. Um, there's a lot to be done. We Last year went to visit my sister, overseas she's in western europe in a very um yeah a a country that doesn't really espouse the gospel the very low low rate of evangelical christianity um and we identified so much with them in what they were talking about we don't have a language difference but apart from that the cultural differences the the place you have to start with Mm. the gospel with people Mm. um yeah it's it's much we we really identified with them Mm. um in our move here we've only moved about five suburbs but yeah. it's a very very different place yeah so, yeah lots of academics lots of um uh, yeah lots of lovely people people are time poor mm. so um our church has rather than been putting a lot of programs on um we have been just contributing to what other things the community is already running so we've been contributing to the kindy fair and school fair and Um, So we sort of turn up with manpower to help make those events happen because that's, I guess, the hardest thing that that those events have issues with is getting people to help and give up their Saturdays or Sundays. Mm. Yeah, so um, it's, uh, yeah, lots lots to do, lots to keep us busy.
0: Mm. (laughs) Tell me, what are some of the other things? So obviously in church, when your health permits, you're involved Mm. in loving people and being in the community and helping out and... Mm -hmm trying in different ways to um, promote the cause of the gospel and of Jesus. What are some other things that you're involved in
1: outside of your church? Mm-hmm. I am involved with speaker Box. So
0: <laughs> did you, you, we, or, you and Liz start it together? So
1: Liz and Sue and I were right. um, on a team. We were organising the Women of Purpose Conference mm-hmm. um, and we decided that we had a lot of trouble finding speakers to speak because it's one thing to talk to a Bible study group of, you know, 12 ladies, um, but it's another thing to stand in front of well, our electives were a size of 100 and then the large talk was about 300. So we didn't want to sort of give people that responsibility, not knowing how they'd go, what they'd say, how they'd cope with it, especially when ladies had sort of cleared the whole day to be there and really invested a lot. Um, so we just wanted there to be a high quality of teaching. We also were a little bit sick of having to constantly call into interstate um, because we thought, well, how are we ever going to grow speakers in Queensland if we... Just don't ever give them an opportunity to do anything. So Sue had this marvellous idea one day. She said, I just I just think it would be fabulous to have a place where ladies could come and just preach, even to one or two people, and just have a go and just preach and then get feedback on what they said and how they did you know, like a real learning opportunity. But without the pressure of feeling like you carry the responsibility for all the audience if, you, if you're if you speaking you know to an audience of unsaved women and, and you kind of totally ruin it or you feel you do um but just have an opportunity to practice or prepare so that when you do have that bigger opportunity you feel like you've been diligent with your gift and you, you've you made an effort to practice or to prepare to get feedback so we said well we should just do it. <laughs> Love it so um so we sort of got busy just thinking about how that might operate we tried to keep it very grassroots so that it didn't require a lot of maintenance because that was something we were all just struggling with balancing all of our commitments, um, but we really did feel there was a need for something like that to happen. So we just had thought, well, we'll just do it once a term to start off with. We would just send, use email and Facebook, so it was free and sort of could almost run itself a bit if we just put information up on Facebook. We've got our speaker forms organised, and um, and actually Jenny Salt was coming up that year for the Grow Conference. So we contacted the Grow Ladies, and they said, yeah, we could borrow her on the Friday night to sort of help launch it and have a chat about. It. Um, the kinds of things that she does with, with women when, when she's preparing her talks so yeah it kind of went from there and it's been beautiful to see it grow and just it's a lovely way to connect with women across different denominations different backgrounds different i guess uh, gifting sets mm. um yeah mm. and see where that leads so we, yeah we're really excited about the prospect it probably could grow faster with more love and tlc it's a great opportunity just to invest in that yeah,
0: it's great. That area, it's great, mm. and it's called Speaker Box. If you live in Brisbane and you're interested in, there'll be a link. There will be on a link. our Facebook
1: page yes. to this interview to Speaker to Box. Speaker Box, it's fabulous, and anyone can attend. So even if you don't, pers- you're not personally interested yes. in learning to be a speaker or have a go, um, if you are the kind of person who misses a lot of the services at church because you are a Sunday school teacher or a mum with crazy toddlers. Um, it's a nice way to just come out in the evening and just hear some great teaching. Um, I have personally been so blessed by turning up. Fabulous. Now, you mentioned Ministry
0: Wives as well. Are you still involved in organising Brisbane Ministry
1: Wives or...? Currently not, okay. no. So, at um, the end of last year, I had just a real spiral of general crashing. It ended up being anxiety, which was another random story in my Health debacle, but the um, but yeah, that really surprised me. So I had to just pull out of a bunch of stuff. My brain was jamming; I couldn't concentrate. Um, I was getting quite, I like, um, kind of angry, but in a weird way. Yeah, it's really strange. I knew I wasn't myself, so I sought help for that. But in the process, I, one of my strategies was to peel off responsibilities, um, and that was one of the ones that I'm not doing anymore. But I love the ladies at Ministry Wise. We had a great time meeting together to plan those events. Um, they're so diligent about planning biblical events for ministry wives um, connecting us isn't it, in networks.
0: I, I don't really know much about other cities, but I know um, in Sydney ministry wives things happen within denominations. I guess the Anglican church is mm. quite big. and mm-hmm. So here it's quite unique that it's any mm. ministry wife of any denomination That's right, yes. is a part of it.
1: What it does is it forces us to be very uh, gospel-centred in the way that we approach whatever topic we're doing. So it's less about here's my preferred method and here's my preferred method. It's more about what does the Bible have to say to this particular issue. So we've done things like depression and anxiety. We've done things like infertility, um, things like personal discipleship with others, um, meeting with people one-on-one, that kind of thing. So if basically any ministry ministry wife who is really keen to understand how the Bible applies to their role but also just life in general, um, it's the kind of thing that they will really resonate with Mm. and so I really love it because I think that our world is getting very post-denominational you know people the line is getting much more clear between Christians, you know, those who love Jesus and those who don't. Um, it's less attached to culture now. And so for me to walk around saying I'm a Baptist is kind of meaningless, whereas if I walk around saying I, I love Jesus, that clearly draws me into the line of Christian. Um, and so, you know, there's there's kind of a clearer definition there, I think, culturally and also within the church. So, mm. But I, I think it helps us... Um, not to say then that the lines between denominations don't matter. Um, I think it's important that we wrestle with issues that are different between us and it's a healthy discussion to have. But in terms of us being able to work together, uh, being able to just get on with the job of building the Church of Jesus here in Brisbane, it's a fabulous thing to know what's going on in other churches near, mm. Mm. nearby. Um For example, when we came here, we sort of made sure we contacted the pastors Mm -hmm. in other churches nearby, and probably at least half of them we knew the couples of because of our connections through things like this Ministry Wives and City Bible Forum and, and other things. So it just, yeah. yeah, you can kind of go, okay, well, we're doing this. Would you like to do Christmas carols with us or would you like to, yeah, work together on something? Sometimes that comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but rather than just coming in and setting up our empire, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's more about seeing um, the church as Christ's church and, and working on how to, how to make that clear to the community we live in.
0: I know you do work part-time. And it's not something you often talk about, but I met your father-in-law, oh. and he just couldn't stop praising you highly enough about how well-respected you are in your field, and how you're quite an expert, and how you fly around Australia speaking at conferences, because you are, in Australia, Mrs. Childhood Constipation OT. Am I right, Becky Khan?
1: Well, he, he, may, he may be a little bit biased. Um, <laughs> But, yes, there's a particular void in that area of practice um, that seems to exist, but it's a very common issue with kids is it's not just constipation, it's poo and wee issues in children. Right, okay. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just happened to be an area that I was working in when I was at, um, in, a ho- in Queensland Health at a hospital. Um, and then while I was working there, I was going on maternity leave and some patients asked if I worked privately and I sort of always said, no, I don't because I don't want to. It no. <laughs> was never on my radar. But then between my health issues and having children and maternity leave and that kind of thing, and we moved to sides of the river, so it became difficult to keep my job Mm. a long way away, um, I thought, no, I might as well dabble and see if I like it and see how hard it is to start up, and I found out it wasn't overly difficult to set up, and so I just sort of did that, and yeah, now I work technically half a week, it's been a bit busy the last couple of weeks, but... Uh, just working with families, um, with children who have issues with around toileting. Yeah, I really enjoy working with families because mm-hmm. toileting is one of those things that happens every day and it bumps into your daily routines mm. if you've got a child with um, issues in that area. And also, of course, it um, raises anxiety, both for family, parents but also for the kids. It, it was just good to be able to do that and then share knowledge on, I guess, out of... Um, Hearing too many stories of people getting told they'll grow out of it, and realizing oh, yeah. actually no, there's a lot we can do. Yes, but the stats on it are about ten to fifteen percent of children um, at around prep grade one have got some kind of continence issue, be that wetting at night, um, soiling in the daytime, wetting in the daytime. So it's quite a it's quite quite a large oh, population, hmm. very common. Mm. Yeah, but no one talks about it because it's fairly uh, you know it's a very private
0: issue. How does it mm. make a difference to you being a Christian involved in the work you're in, as mm. opposed to if you weren't? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I um, I feel as though I'm frequently in a place with families where I'm chatting about what starts off to be you know, how can we integrate this toileting routine how can we be compliant with medication how can we bolster the child's self esteem and and um, their own involvement in the whole process a lot of them in, in denial and mm. that kind of thing self-loathing the um, child in denial pride. and self-loathing um mm. and then it starts to become an issue between the parent and the child because and then the parents disagree on how to deal with the issue um, and so it starts to these conversations often go on um, yeah into talking about how to manage behaviors how to manage differences of opinion how to support one another through what is a long-term recovery phase and um and yet not being able to talk to everybody about it so um, i often get in quite um, wonderful conversations with families and just helping them to see the hope and see that um yeah that there are ways and ways to actually assist and to to stick in there (laughs) and, you know, Mm. um, not give up. Um, And I'm finding families are really hurting. There's a lot of families. um, My my service is private, so there's some – a lot of families I see are fairly wealthy. They have everything that that one could possibly need Mm. and yet they're quite unhappy um, or something as sort of seemingly simple as toilet training um, has almost got them unstuck because Mm. it's been such a problem for so long and it's caused – interaction issues in families and, um, and and I think people are busy mm. but, but in such a way they feel trapped because they can't just pull the pin on their either financial commitments or um, responsibilities or their reputations and so the children seem to be bearing the brunt of that and so the reason I work with children is because I desperately love, love kids and, and just seeing them flourish and seeing them uh, grow and um, have every opportunity to be who they were made to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I'm seeing my role a bit, as a big part of that, being mm-hmm. able to support parents as well in that process. Yeah, so it's... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we were put here on this earth to nourish it and care for it, steward it. Um, and I see that as a big part of what I'm doing now. You know one of the, the big the big diseases of our current culture is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, that the statistics on that are very high in children in school. Um, and you know I'm seeing very small children come to me with, with extremely high anxiety levels. Um, And it it seems to be kind of the disease of the age. um, Mm. But it's something that we can't just ignore Mm. because it doesn't miraculously disappear. Mm. And in fact, it it has the ability to push apart, push us away from people that love us dearly because we we get stuck and we can't respond well. And it sounds
0: like through your work, you're gaining a real bird's eye view inside families. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. I'm sure that that translates to how you relate to families in your congregation and in your community yes. because you actually know a little bit what goes on behind a lot of closed doors. That's Just, right,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It is, it is a real window into mm. what's really happening, mm. um, you know. And, and we, and my kids are in school in an affluent area. Mm. Um, and when you go to the school gate, everyone looks amazing and so happy and chatty and... Um, you know, and when I, I've also seen a few of the families at my school you know, but and, and some some are doing okay and you know, and that is the case with them. They are in a purple patch right now and that's where life's at and that's great. Um but others are actually really doing it tough and we're so busy with so many things, but the substance of life and love and family and the future and leaving generations after us. Um, that seems to have sort of gone by the wayside with our pursuit of all kinds of other things that apparently we need and apparently stuff. we, yeah, stuff yeah. that we, um, that we just get, yeah, we just get, I guess, distracted with Okay.
0: I'm going to finish up with one more question. Uh-huh. Are there any books that you're reading or have read in the last while that, that have
1: intrigued you or encouraged you? Or... I don't do it enough, but I like to sit with my Bible and journal, yep. um, just read a passage. I was reading through Jeremiah, which was particularly helpful. Um, and I've been doing proverbs at the moment with the kids, so I try to read that beforehand. I get a lot from that, um, especially if I make the time to go to a coffee shop <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> where I'm not at my house getting distracted by, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure it's not just all about the coffee. I think it's more <laughs> about the distraction. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll just put the washing on before I sit down. Oh, I'll just do, yeah. uh, do the dishwasher before I sit down, and then I'll I do sort of, the morning's gone and a phone call comes, and then, and then you're sort of done. So if I actually pick up my Bible, go out, sit down with a coffee, I'll actually do it um and that's I really enjoy that so Mm. but that requires some scheduling sometimes Mm. um but probably a book that I've been reading lately is the one by Eric Metaxas called Seven Extraordinary Women I am not an avid reader I I do tend to fall asleep when I'm reading (laughs) but I have enjoyed I've about halfway through that and just yeah looking at the perspectives of different women and um yeah where they sort of came from and how they went through some often very intense periods of time but But also there's a lot of sadnesses that they carry that you sort of, you don't remember them for, but, Mm. you know, I guess I'm interested in that from my perspective Mm. and my history. Mm. Um, Yeah, just observing how they actually went through some really hard times often. Often the the genius was only, happened within a few years. I mean, even someone like Joan of Arc was like 17 or something, wasn't she, when she died. Just, yeah, it was pretty intense, but... Uh, the Lord uh, yeah, raises us all up at different times to do different things and I think i found encouragement in that, just mm. reading reading different lines.
0: Lovely. Well, Thank I have found encouragement in our conversation. Thank you so much sweet. for sharing. So You're honestly, welcome. about everything, <laughs> thanks for the beautiful brownie and the coffee. You're welcome. It's been lovely to come here and spend some time with you, Becky. Thank You're you. welcome. Anytime, for it.